Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hello Mentor. Uh, today's episode was actually recorded via Zoom uh, because of the movement control order in Malaysia. Um, so the sound quality might change a little bit from the usual uh, episode, but the conversations are nevertheless still just as interesting. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Hello Mentor Podcast. Uh, today we have Anwar Jumaboy with us. Anwar was raised in Penang, Malaysia uh, before moving abroad to live in a number of countries. Uh, he attended a university in England and completed his MBA at IMD Switzerland. Uh, Anwar is a keynote speaker. Um, titled You Don't Have to Start a Business to Be an Entrepreneur uh, and works with corporate executives to become more effective. Uh, Anwar serves on the Industry Advisory Panel uh, of the Schools of Business and Hospitality at Taylor's University uh, and is an advisor for a couple of technology startups. Uh, he has over 40 years of business and management experience uh, covering several different industries. Uh, and uh, with that, let's start the conversation. Hello, Anwar. Hi. Hello, Derek. Great to be see you and be here again. Yes, yes. Uh, great, uh, great seeing you again. Uh, we met, I think, a couple of years ago when Wob was doing a crowdfund. It's been three years, I think. It's been, it's been a while. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes. you had success at 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 a couple of a uh, couple of raisings, and uh, and I often actually give the example of how you are a second generation job site as opposed to the first generation, right? So in a lot of businesses, the first generation was just transforming the papers or the classifieds into uh, a, a digital format, but it wasn't That's rethinking. Right. That's right. And, uh, and, and in, in your case, it's a rethinking. In fact, Zuckerberg said the biggest mistake he made when, when going from, uh, from, uh, from desktop to, to mobile was to try and work the desktop into the mobile. And he should have just, and, and he eventually they rebuilt, they rebuilt for mobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you're quite spot on. So uh, for for what we're actually trying to humanize digital recruitment, and what we what we mean by that is that you'll find that we're very like media heavy. There's a lot of video, you know, like it's really built for a world with like high speed internet, and it's really built for a world where people are spending more time on their phones. So the the intuition of how um, how the platform works is really designed for for mobile. So yeah, we are trying to kind of take this entire thing like to a completely new level. Uh, yeah, it's working I, out so I, far. I, I, like the, I, I, I like the fact that um, uh, it's giving you a sense of the company uh, that, that you would not get in a classified statement. Mm. And I, and I right. think that your approach of presenting the company first as opposed to the job first uh, is, is, a, is a good one. You know, it's like yes, thank you. You, 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 you get a chance to create an impression mm. um, on, on the seeker before, before presenting the job. Because, I mean, today you hire a job, you're not giving anybody a two-year runway, right? You hire a job, mm. it's going to evolve. Mm. So if you spend so much time on a job specification, really, what's the point, mm. right? So you, so in fact, I mean, I had this many years ago when, you know, HR asks you to do whole the job specs and all that. And, and you, you write it and it becomes just verbiage at the end, right? I mean, you just write yes. it because it has to be two pages. It has to have all these elements. Right. And, and you actually want to throw it away and say, I, let's, these are the outcomes I want from the, the job. That's it. Mm. Three outcomes. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. because I have three outcomes, I have three skills. And every person that applies from the job, I'm going to assess their three skills. Yeah. And whether I like them or don't like them, it doesn't matter. And in fact, yeah. uh, Malcolm Gladwell said recently when he hired a secretary, he had never met the secretary. He said, what's the point of meeting somebody? You meet somebody is only going to hurt the process because then you become emotional as opposed to analytical. Mm. And the first mm. time ever when he hired his PA, he never met the PA. And he mm. said when he finally did meet the PA, uh, it was somebody he would have never hired if he had seen her, mm. but she's amazing. 
So yeah, you know, things so, things yeah. work both ways, right? So first impressions can can also be positive, but they can also be be negative, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I agree hundred percent that job descriptions are not that important anymore. Like in a sense where it all looks the same as if you just rely on the job description. So one of the things I tell people all the time is like if you go on a on a typical job site and you search for say sales executive, which is a fairly common job you probably find like a few hundred jobs, maybe even a thousand jobs like that. Yes. But then you can only work in one. So, so, so the most important thing is actually to find that right job rather than have a thousand jobs in front of you, right? So, um, so that's kind of what we want to change. So, uh, so Anna, for those, for, for the people listening who, you know, who are not familiar with yourself, perhaps you could tell us a bit about you, your background and what, what you're currently doing. Sure. So I actually started uh, as a naval architect. So I started uh, working in the UK. And then uh, after about a year, it was terribly boring. And it's a unionized shipyard. So everybody who works there, including myself, including you know, white collar people, have to join a union. And the union's job is to protect everybody's jobs. And then I moved to Singapore because uh, it was a bit boring. And I worked in Singapore in a shipyard, which was 10 years behind the UK in terms of hard infrastructure. But it was so entrepreneurial that we transformed over the period that I was there, we transformed completely. And, and that's what sort of ignited my interest in entrepreneurship because we were entrepreneurial working there. And, mm. I, and I tell people that, you know, uh, 30 years after I left the shipyard, it still exists in Singapore. Eight years after I left the shipyard in the UK, it closed down. Mm. because it's just not viable. Mm. And so you need that flexibility. And I think that you can be entrepreneurial in large companies. So, so that was sort of my first discovery. I have been an entrepreneur. I have mm. been co-founder of, of a few businesses. And mm. then I ended up uh, working in a venture capital industry with MathCap. And then I also then uh, worked with uh, Tune Hotels, part of the AirAsia group. And then mm. over the last four years, I've been basically doing uh, coaching and facilitation uh, for people who are interested to, to start businesses as well as people who are interested to change the structure of existing businesses to be more entrepreneurial. So mm. hence the moniker, the, 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 the entrepreneur doctor. Mm. And how, how do you make this decision um, to actually move away from all that and then to be like a, a mentor and a business coach? I think by nature, I'm an explorer and a learner. Mm. And, uh, and uh, so I, I really enjoy stories and I, it's like the time that I met you, I met other people. I, I can rem remember the context very well. Mm. And I think it is, it is about being entrepreneurial, right? So you take a lot of hits. I mean, let, let me be clear, you know, it's not an easy journey. So there are many mm. times I've gone backwards and sidewards, had mm. to learn new skills and, you know, had the imposter syndrome faced with doing things that you don't know you can do, but you have to. Um, so you go through that, but I think at nature, I think I'm an explorer and a learner. And I think when you have that mindset, that is quite entrepreneurial. Mm. So you, you end up doing new things, sometimes out of circumstance, sometimes you don't have a choice. You know, when, mm. I, when I had a, my own business and we, went, we closed down in, um, in 98, I had to look for a job. And if you've been working for yourself, at least now, I hope it has changed. But in the past, if you work for yourself and you apply for a job, people say, oh, no, 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 no. We don't mm. want to hire you <laughs> because you might leave, right? And mm, so, mm. so the whole mindset was, I want to hire you for your expertise, but I want to make sure you will stay. But I'm not giving you any guarantee that I will keep you. Mm. And a lot of traditional companies, you know, that's why the trust breaks, right? You mm. want loyalty, but you don't offer it. Mm. Um, I, I, think, I think that is changing, uh, especially well, it depends on the type of company. I think a lot of startups, because they're quite entrepreneurial in nature, you know, they, they tend to value people who kind of like run their own startup or their own business before. Uh, if, 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 if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, Mali Ali, who's obviously, um, you know, the founder of BFM, you know, before he joined Job Street, uh, he also started a business himself. Yes. Uh, and then after that business ended, Job Street hired him, 
you know, because they valued that entrepreneurial experience that he had. But but then again, Job Street is quite unique in the sense that they were a technology startup at the time. And, right? and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Job, and Malik has talked about this, uh, you know, his interaction with Job Street and why he took the job because he needed to clear some debt and he was given in advance. Mm. Um, actually, Malik came to see me when I was in MathTap uh, mm. to, to, to raise money. And, mm. uh, he, the, you know, he, the pace and the amount he wanted I told him that it's, 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 it's not something that we can do. And if he has got mm. an option for a private investor, then he should just do that. Mm. And, 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 you know, I, one of the things about being entrepreneurs is that you, you want people to open doors for you, mm. but you also want to be very clear that doors that can't be opened, you don't want to spend your time there banging on the door. Mm. Right? So you want somebody to tell you that door is not going to open for you. Don't waste mm. your time. Mm. And, 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 you know, I had a very early boss in the shipyard, Charlie. And Charlie used to tell me, tell me that, he said, Anwar, your mindset is, needs to change. You decide mm. to do something and you just bang, 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 bang. You keep doing it. Sometimes you must learn to give up. <laughs> and, you know, that's the challenge of entrepreneurs, right? Sometimes yes. you have to knock the, door, knock the wall down and sometimes you have to go around the wall. But nobody tells you when. That's right. So there, there, there isn't really like a guidebook. You know, like you're very clear instructions. Yeah, you're right in the saying that sometimes the advice is just keep going, just keep pushing. Yep. You're almost there. And but at the same time, like it does take an entrepreneur's own intuition. I use that word quite yes. loosely to know when to move to something else, right? Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, when I was at MathCap and, and we, we, you know, we invest in a lot of tech companies and we help them sell. And, and sometimes my role was really you're bidding for this contract with Bank X. And I can tell you that Bank X is not going to give you the job. No matter what the guy tells you, he's not going to give you a job. So close the book, go and look for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. so if, if entrepreneurship was easy, everybody would be uh, starting a business. But entrepreneurship in companies is much easier and less risky. Mm-hmm. Yes, and which is what I wanted to ask you next. I think when the book you wrote, I believe it's nine entrepreneurism. Yeah. That's right. You did mention that you don't need to start a business to be an entrepreneur. Um, could you elaborate more on that? So you know, if you, if you look at what are the what are the traits of entrepreneurs, right? You 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 have to have self-efficacy. You have to have passion and you have to take risk as being the first three that are most commonly associated. And you can do those things in a company that you work for. So when I worked for the shipyard in, in Singapore, we were building rigs. We had typically built small, low value vessels. And then we just went up the value chain, right? We built uh, jack-up rigs, semi-subs, uh, we built uh, offshore vessels, etc. So, and when you go through that journey, you're gonna make some mistakes. And so companies need to be, give their staff some flexibility to take risks, to make mistakes and to grow. And in fact, if a company, a large company wants to start a business, it's in a far better position to succeed than a small entrepreneur. But they don't do it because the rules are such. You know, and you have what I call custodians of procedure in companies. And they mm. are the ones who make sure you don't do the wrong thing. But mm by not doing the wrong thing, you can't do the right thing either. Mm. So they always say, don't do this, don't do this, don't. And then you come across them all the time, right? In my career, I come across them in HR, I come across them in finance, I come across them in legal. And there are all these people who don't have a revenue number attached to them. Mm. But they'll tell you this, you cannot do that, you cannot do that. And my response was always, that's fine, let's switch jobs. You go and get the revenue. You know, it's very easy when you, you, you are in the back mm. trying to tell the guy in the front how he should do his job. He's mm. supporting you. And a lot of large organizations, the, 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 the balance has completely shifted to the back rather than the front. Mm. The front guys are the ones who give you the money. They're the mm. ones who bring in revenue, right? Why do you think that is, Anwar? Why do you think the balance in some organizations shift to the back? It's very simple, right? It's because we by nature, like to have some certainty in our life. Mm. It is easier to look at what happened yesterday, last week, last month, last year, 
drill through a PNL, drill through a report. That's far easier mm. than saying, okay, if we do this, what's the potential revenue? So, you know, we, we, we build organizations that are not chasing for revenue. We build organizations that are watching over history. Mm, mm. And finding that, I mean, I, you don't want to do every crazy thing, but mm. finding that balance is, is something that's important. And, and I think that for people who are also starting a business, you can't say, I mean, I, I think you, you, you mentioned in one of your interviews that if you want to start a business, make sure you have enough money for six months because, mm. uh, you know, it's going to be at least six months before you see some money. I think I said 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like extremely prudent. <laughs> so even, even Malik said that, right? So, yeah. so, so you, you, so they, you know, I, I thought about this a lot and it's actually an interesting mix of things, right? Mm. So to be an entrepreneur, you have to be realistic, mm. but you also have to be opportunistic, mm. right? So you have to balance these two, okay? You have to think about the short term. You also have to think about the long term because nobody is worrying, it, worrying about it for you, right? Yep. And the problem with our brain is our brain tends to prioritize near-term risk. We try. We tend to we tend to um, minimize longer term risks because it comes from the our, our history, line, You know, where we, the fight and flight syndrome, right? So we tend to prioritize short term risks, not realizing that actually the long term is going to kill you. I mean, mm. people say, okay, like what's the point of living long term if you die in short term? Also true, but these are all. I mean, there are no simple answers, right? So, but the brain tends to prioritize short-term risk. Mm. And you and, as an entrepreneur have to balance that with, if you only focus on the short-term, you can't build a business. One of the things that, this is from personal experience, right? So, uh, you know, I've I worked for a company before where, you know, still quite small and it was growing quite fast. And I remember in the early years, it was very exciting for me. So I have, I maybe that's why I started a company because, you know, I love the, that experience, that journey of building something from scratch, right? And, and I remember every day I, I felt so motivated coming into work and that I could see that the company was growing as part of this growth. And then one day we got to a point where um, we were considered big and then suddenly the message shifted to, we need to grow, uh, no, shifted from, like we need to grow this to, oh, let's not lose what we have. Right. And, and just by that shift, the mindset actually changed the entire way the company functioned. And I lost interest very quickly because literally, and I think the issue is that companies, when they get to a certain size and then they think, oh, this is good enough. When they start saying this is good enough and, and then they start thinking about protecting what they already have, uh, that is, I suppose, the recipe for eventual Zasa, downfall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the, the, brain, the brain telling you about the short-term risk, right? Mm. And minimizing the long-term. I mean, I, I, I use a couple of the case studies, right? Nokia, etc., about why they fail uh, mm. when, I do, when I do some sessions. And is mm. it poor management? You know, it's a combination of many things, right? One is it's poor management. Two, it's incompetent management. Three, KPIs don't drive them to make the right decision. And, and, and four, the brain tends to focus on, I'm okay today, so why shouldn't I be okay tomorrow? And then at some point, tomorrow is too late. Mm. You know, I mean, uh, I think Jeff Bezos very famously said that you need to continue to take risk. And, and un unless, if you don't, then you will get to a Hail Mary moment where you bet the house. Mm. And I don't want to be in that position where I bet the house. I want to make small mm. bets as I go along to mm. learn so that mm. I don't have to bet the house in the end. Mm. And, and, and these are things that actually companies can do, you know. Mm. Um, mm. You know, you can set up, and, and a lot of companies do it. So in, if you work as an executive in, in, in a company, and I tell people, when you work in a company, focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Mm. The, the Asian mindset is very much a question of get permission first. Mm then do it, right? I, 
I'm a bit irreverent. I do first and then, I mean, don't do anything wrong, but do first and then later on, you know. And I always give the example of, uh, of, of the US, right? In the US, you can do a U-turn everywhere where it says, unless it says no U-turn. If it says no U-turn, you cannot do a U-turn. But otherwise, you can do a U-turn or you can turn, you can turn into, filter into traffic on, on the right, right? So they get used to do it unless there's a rule that says you can't do it. Here, we are the other way around. Mm. Only do it if the rule says you can do it. And yet we have so many problems. So, so I mean, how do you explain? <laughs> I don't know. How, how do you explain this? I, I, I don't know. Yes. We get, uh, hung so up with, yeah. we get hung up with asking questions and making sure it's, is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? But really, yeah. why are we doing that? Mm. And so building on that, right? So in an Asian context, or in Malaysian context, right? Because most people are very um, driven by rules, you know, uh, what, you know, how do you become entrepreneurial in this kind of context? You know, when you're working in a company and say you have a very entrepreneurial mindset, but then the company may not welcome, you know, exactly like, you know, that, that spirit that you have, that risk taking that you have and everything, yes. you should ask your boss first, you know, how, how do you become entrepreneurial? It starts with first building a little bit of your own credibility, mm. right? So you need to build the credibility. So you build the trust. Mm. When you build the trust, then you get more latitude. And if the company is clear about where it's going, I mean, why do entrepreneurial companies do better at recruitment than, than the old style companies, right? There are structural reasons, but there are also the reason that the entrepreneurial companies know where they're going. They can express it. And then people decide, is this a bus I want to get on or not? Mm. The older companies struggle to express it. So people don't know whether to get on the bus or not. Mm. Right. Mm. But you can be entrepreneurial. So you, you, uh, many years ago, I, I, I worked in a fast food business. And then you, know, you get this guy who says, but sir, sir, I can do the burger this way. I, I, my, I can clean the kitchen. And my response is always the same. You first, you do it my way. Prove to me you can do it my way. Then I will consider your way. Mm. But don't start with your way because you've only just started work. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's very useful, right? So even if anyone who, who manages a team, they can think in those terms, right? Like you, 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 in order to build trust with your team, you can, you can say that like, hey, you want to, if you want me to trust you, you have to first prove to me that you understand what this is about. We've done it before. We know it works. If you try doing it like this, great. But then if you think it can be better, once you've proven to us, you can do it this way, then I'm yes. open to hear how exactly. else you think can be exactly. better, right? Exactly. And, and you know, processes have emerged because they make sense. I mean, some of them, of course, have been over, the, the over, overrated, especially all the stuff on reporting. I mean, all that is insanely silly. Today, mm. any company that translates its numbers into Excel files, into PowerPoint presentations, to management reports, I think you are just wasting a lot of time. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that, that, that are wasting their time. Mm. And, and sometimes, I mean, I've had to sit with people and say, look, you know, you are really not being occupied here. Mm. And this company cannot give you the opportunity to be occupied. So do you want to think about going somewhere else? Mm. Because it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your career. Mm. Yes. And, and, and so, you know, you can be, you, and, and if, you, if you ask the HR, I say, you know, you cannot say that. I said, what's, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with that? I didn't, I didn't tell anybody to leave. I just pointing out the reality of staying. And so, yeah. you know, so you, yeah. if you go and ask the HR, they'll have this whole thing about, oh, no, you can't do this. You can't do that and all that. And even, even, in, even in like, for example, you know, in, I give you another silly example. Performance improvement plans, mm. PIPs, right? A lot of companies use that because their employees are, are not performing. Mm. And so if you get a PIP on you, there's a stigma. So I introduced PIP for promotion as well. Oh. well so you're being, you're com, you're, <laughs> you are being considered for a promotion. I'm going to put a PIP in, which is three months or six months. This is what I expected outcomes. If you meet it, you get promoted. So when you get a PIP, you don't know whether it's positive or negative. Could be mm. going up, could be going down. 
Mm. <laughs> so you can change. I mean, you know, there's no right, rule that says right. you can't do that, right? Right, right, right. So, so you're coaching them to get promoted. Basically. Exactly, exactly. And it's a performance improvement plan. Why does it have to be a negative to a positive? It can be a positive to a super positive. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. That is very useful. Ah, so, something I might I might consider too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. um, and then you know, you you there there are lots of little things that that you can do uh, in a company, and it's it's about building your competence, building your trust, and and for the company to know that you can execute. Right, and if you can execute, then you get more latitude. Mm. And when you get more latitude, then 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 you have the energy to go to work, right? Otherwise. As you say, why, why go to work? I mean, yes, you go to work to get paid mm. because you have bills to pay, but um, you need more than that to go to work. Mm. I, I want to kind of shift and ask about being an actual entrepreneur in Malaysia currently. So what, as someone that's you know, been an entrepreneur yourself and you've obviously been observing this space for some time, what do you think are some of the the biggest challenges that you know entrepreneurs in Malaysia currently face, and then what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to start a business in how to overcome some of these challenges? The biggest challenge that any entrepreneur faces in any business is getting revenue, mm. right? So you need to you need to get revenue, right? And the the successful entrepreneurs that I have seen have been able to design a product or a solution offering that appeals to a market. So it's, it's always been very narrow. It's always been built on their competence and they generate revenue. Once you start to generate revenue, you can build the rest of your organization. You know, if you have all your customers coming through uh, Google, then you know that your salespeople have to be familiar with that. If you have all your customers coming from knock on doors, then you can build your sales organization from that. Companies that struggle are the ones that companies that have a bit of sales from here, a bit of sales from here, a bit of sales from here. Then it's very hard for you to design your organization. Mm. So, mm. so if you want to be successful, I think you have to be clear about where your revenue is coming from. I think mm. fundraising now is not an issue in Malaysia anymore, right? If you look at the number of companies, I, I, I don't. I haven't seen the latest number from crowd for platforms, but I reckon what 80, 90 companies have raised money from crowd platforms so far. Yes, that's that's becoming more common now. Um, although VC funding seems a bit less common of late, more recently. Uh, when and then if I rewind, um, say four or five years ago when we first started Warp, like there was a huge, huge like buzz, right? Like lots of the. Uh, Lots of big investments were going in with companies with just an idea. Yes. Um, but now that's obviously slowed down quite a bit. And you still see VCs investing, but I, I see a lot of them probably in like the, the mid stage of a startup, right? Not, not that many early stage VC investments uh, come to mind in Malaysia right now. Uh, maybe just a small handful. No, I mean, you raised money last year, Kasim raised money last year. Uh, the the company that does drones, uh, Aerody Aerodyne raised. Aerodyne, yes. I mean, there's yeah. been significant number of big fundraisers. Mm. Um, you see the, and I, I so I, I have a friend in another startup and I, and I won't mention his name, but, but he says the challenge is very simple and he's absolutely mm. right, okay? Mm. So he says that I have raised money, I want to become regional. Mm. But the amount of money I raise is not enough for me to become regional. Mm. And then, and then the, the people that I raise the money from want me to be profitable. Mm. Now, how can you, with a little bit of money, be regional and be profitable? You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, if you look at, uh, I think Ninja Van recently raised $250 million, right? Mm. I don't want to be quoted on it, but I think... I, 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 yeah, yeah, I don't remember the number, but it was pretty $250 million, you know? And they're already a, a regional company, right? Mm. Uh, they've mm. changed their strategy in Indonesia. It's a little bit different to their strategy in Malaysia and Singapore. But mm. so, so you, you have this dilemma that people want to give you money. They want to, you to be huge. And then 
but they don't give you, and then they want you to be profitable. And I, I, I you know, last year or year before last, I, I had a conversation with one of the founders, one, of, one founder had raised money, and she was telling me that, you know, I haven't met my milestone and all that. And I looked at what she'd raised and all that. And I told her that you have not raised enough money. And she says, what do I tell the investors? I said, you go to the investor and tell them, investor, you've made a mistake. Why did you give me so much money, so little money? Mm. It's your fault, not my fault. You should know better. Mm. You didn't give me <laughs> enough money. Mm. And it's a fact. Mm. You thought that this little bit of money will allow me to build this business. You should have known better. Mm. So, how, so how, how do you square that with like the valuation problem? Because I think one of the reasons why they don't raise it up because they don't value the company very high at the same time. Yes. You know, valuation is always a tricky one, right? Uh, it's, and one of the problems of the Asian markets vis-a-vis -vis China or US. So in the Chinese market and the US market, because they're very homogeneous markets, mm. right? And they're reasonably yes. large markets you can build one and sell to many. That's right. Right? In the Asian yes. markets, you have to build many to sell to few. Mm. Mm. Now, are you structured to do that? Mm. Are you structured to build many versions, get many approvals to sell to few people? Mm. And that's the reason why the Asian markets will stay protected and is of no interest to the Chinese. Mm. Yeah. Other than TikTok, who's here? Uh, and they mm. bought into Zalora and they bought into Shopee. But, mm. but these are investments, right? They mm. cannot start mm. a business here because the infrastructure doesn't exist. Mm. They don't know how to deal with small markets. Mm. We know how to deal with small markets. And mm. we are cost structured to deal with small markets. Mm. But small markets means lower valuations. Mm. You know, so you, 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 you get that trade-off, right? Mm. If yes. you try to do, uh, you know, like a mega company, and maybe iFlix was on that path, but I think they, they were recently uh, acquired. Um, it's, you know, valuation is always a function of, of market size, right? Today, if you look at the stock market, look at the price of Top Club. I, I, I don't buy stocks, so I don't know. But... It was a dollar fifty a year ago. It's what twenty dollars now. Mm. And every retailer is in there buying shares, as because they can make a bit of money mm. if it goes up. So valuation is a is a tough one. It, you know, it's it, a tricky one. Yeah. It ultimately it does boil down to what your company can deliver in terms of profits in the future. What do you think is often misunderstood about being an entrepreneur? Um, you know, what's, what's actually harder than it looks? Uh, so, so it's actually hard, but then it looks easy. Uh, but also the reverse. What is actually easier than, than people think it is? I think what's harder than it looks is, is all three things. Finding the revenue, which is always number one building the product mm. and finding the people. These are the three that you are always going to struggle with. And, mm. and you will typically find it harder than you thought it was. You don't know the type of people and you're not entirely sure where you're going to find them. And so for, as an entrepreneur, you need to spend some time thinking about where is your team going to come from? Because at the time when you need people, it's pretty much too late to look for them. Mm. So that's the harder part, right? Doing yeah. that. The easier part is, you know, the working, the working hours, getting used to it. I mean, those are just part and parcel, right? We've all been through that. I mean, people say, oh, you have to work all these long hours and this is difficult and this is difficult and you have to skim by. Those things you can get by. I mean, they're not, they're not an issue. Mm. You know, you're driven by the fact that you want to get to that destination. You're driven by that passion that you have to, to perform. Mm. So I think the doing part is, is not as difficult as people make it out to be. But if you can't hire people, you can't build the product, who's going to help you? Mm. That's the tough one. I mean, how did mm. you do it when you were building Wob? 
Was yeah, it plane, actually, was it a plain sailing? Uh, so, so I'm quite lucky in the sense because I used to be a recruiter. Do I deal a lot with talent? So it was. Um, I wouldn't say it was easy to build the team, but I had experience building a team. Right, I experienced interviewing people. You know, find, finding out. You know, get, having that. Um, that instinct as to who would work well together in this team. You know, I, I had that. And I actually agree with you that that's probably one of the most underrated or um, least talked about things about running a company. Because if you buy a book, let's say, like the Lean Startup, right? Uh, there's a lot of focus. On, I think, I believe they do talk about talent, but there's a lot of focus on things like, oh, ideation, you know, product market fit, all very like, high-level strategy stuff. And, you know, it's very easy to look at it and say, oh, yeah, I can build a startup. But one thing people don't realize is you're not doing it alone. So, so no matter how brilliant you may think you are, if there's around you are not driven like you and, you know, they're not as capable as you, you're, you're, the startup won't go very far. You know, you can only do so much alone. Yes. So, so building that team, I would actually say, is maybe more important than those every other thing. Because in the beginning... I can definitely say 100% I did not know what I was doing. Um, I can say even now, probably there are a lot of things that I still don't know what I'm doing. But, but the reason why we, you know, we kind of survived right, and got to where we are is because we had a very good team. You know, people who are very driven. Uh, most, of us, um, most of us don't know, actually. Like, uh, it's the first time we're all building a startup together. I think one of the reasons why HR people or, or companies seek to do that is because um, they want their people to be able to work uh, together as a team, right? Because like, you know, if, they're, if, if you're, not, you're not able to work together as a team, then no matter how brilliant you are, things are not going to work out. But uh, actually what we do in Warp right now is we have a core value called Radical Candor, which basically, which is our communication value. We're, we're yep. saying to everyone in the company, you're supposed to challenge someone directly if you don't agree with them. So, so um and we say that because we prior, we prioritize the right ideas and, and we don't want anyone to take anything personally because in a building a company, so we have to be very efficient. I'd rather you tell me I'm wrong, you know, rather yes. than, you know, we go down the wrong direction. And, and this core value actually gives, uh, so, so not only does it give permission to each other to voice your opinion, but actually it, it makes the culture such a way where people don't take things personally if there's disagreement or conflict. So what, what happens is everyone kind of elevates their mindset to a point of like, we're all competent people. Even if we disagree with each other, it's fine. We're still a team. So, so changing the expectation, I think, still helps them work together as a team, even though you may think, I think, so what I'm trying to get at is in a typical company where this is not expressed very clearly, you know, when someone is challenging someone else, it can be seen, I don't know whether it's an Asian thing or not, but it can be seen as, oh, this is a personal attack. Right, and therefore I don't like you. You don't like me, and and and, and you know it's very and, and it's very, so easy to disagree based on uh, you not liking someone rather than on the idea itself. So we, yeah, we so try people, to take people, that away, right? So a lot of and, and it's quite remarkable that you can do it because that's one of the difficulties, right? How do you separate? How do you take ego out of the relationship? And mm. it really is ego, mm. right? It's, yeah. it's, it is ego that is coming in the way. So if somebody doesn't agree with you with the way your idea or the what you want to do or the way you want to do it you think that he thinks i'm not as good as him or mm. he doesn't like me and mm. so it is it's quite quite difficult to 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 take the person out of the it is it is it is yes. it's quite commendable that you can do it because it is hard to do yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say we are perfect, but because this core value exists, so you do see people saying it sometimes. Okay, radical candor, I'm going to say something now. Like they actually say the, yes, they use it. that phrase, yeah, yeah. right? So, so people are prepared. Okay, we're going to have this conversation now. So um, yeah, so you still find sometimes some people get offended and things like that. But, but because everyone knows this is the core value, I think we reduce significantly the amount of incidents like this. Um, and, and it helps that I help. Yeah. So, so from day one, this has been a core value That's for us good. and, and we impressive. use it. Um, yeah, but like I said, it's far from perfect, but it is meant to kind of create this kind of culture where you can put a group of competent people together and people can 
argue and debate ideas, you know, and still work together very well as a team, right? In, in like an Asian kind of local yes. context. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's very hard to do. And you can't, you can't get high performing teams. Mm. You know, you want to set a standard and you don't mm. want to fuss about the SOP. Mm. Is, is there any uh, particular business or startup in Malaysia where you have, um, um, you know, you have admiration for, like you think they are, they run very well um, and, um, and, and why you think they're succeeding? You know, there, there, there are so many, right? I mean, if you go back from the time that MathCap started investing, you had IP88, you had GHL, um, mm. you have end-to-end -end connect, you have Vitrox. Um, in the new batch, you have Aerodyme, you have Carsum, you have uh, Merchant Trade, you have so many. There are so many, mm. Mm. right? And they're all high growth. Mm. So yeah. I would say, don't look for a formula. If, you're, if you want to be an entrepreneur, look for how you can leverage your competence, your network, and how you're going to find revenue in the simplest. And that's where I like Eric Ries and, and Lean Startup. You know, keep it simple. Mm. If, if you have to go through 10 reasons why I should deal with you or 10 reasons why I should buy your product, then it's... <laughs> it's you know, you've lost the game. You, it's got to be one, two, or three max. Right? Mm, so you, mm, you either mm. need to deliver pleasure or avoid pain. Mm. And a lot of young people are going into becoming entrepreneurs because it makes sense. Why would you go and work for a job at pathetic salaries? Mm. And, and, and two years later, you might be earning 5% more, 10% more. I mean, you know, I've always complained that salaries in Malaysia are very low. Mm. And uh, it's not fair. But now in hindsight, the many years of low salary has driven people to become entrepreneurs. Mm. Because they're like, you know, why should I, I'm going to give up 1,500, 2,000 ringgit. I might as well just go and do my own thing. Mm. So in a way, the, the low salary is actually, I think, promoted entrepreneurship. I suppose now with like the pandemic and like a lot of people like there are less jobs in the market right now that will probably cause a boom in like uh, entrepreneurship. I imagine, right? Because many people don't even have a choice because yes. they, can't, they can't find a job. So they'll figure out how to make money by being an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting to see, right? Whether any like new startups are born. Uh, so startups are like, a, when, I, when I say startups, people tend to think like a technology startup, but it could be any business, right? Any business that's born right now. And, no, you I mean, know, if I'm you very look at you, you, you look at the number of businesses that evolve making cakes, mm. right? There are so many cake making businesses today. There, uh, there are so many bread making businesses today. Um, there are so many people now inside the value chain of farm to, farm to store, right? Or farm to house, right? So there are lots of people that are coming in there as uh, providing home delivery of products and services. Um, and it's, it's mushrooming. I mean, I recently use Kautim for a couple of things, a couple of uh, repair jobs. Mm. Look at how that company has grown. Yeah, yeah. So there is growth and there are lots of people who are starting, starting, starting new businesses. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, uh, so I know I'm, I'm curious, like, cause you've obviously, you know, you've been an entrepreneur, you, you worked before in like, like corporations. So do you have like a favorite failure yourself personally? And what, what did you learn from them? So the, the first business that I started that failed was, uh, was a gym for kids. Mm. Okay. So I started a gym for kids and I started a computer center for kids in 97, 98. And we operated for a couple of years mm. and then, uh, and then closed down mm. and looking back, I got two things wrong. One is I misunderstood the way the market was moving. So I had come from Singapore to Malaysia and I thought that, uh, I thought that the market in Malaysia was moving the gap between Malaysia and Singapore in terms of preferences was closing. 
Mm. Actually, the gap was opening. It wasn't closing. I see. Right. And then, and then we got hit with uh, haze. And um, so basically decided to close the business. And so right. two things. One is that I, I did not anticipate the timing. And mm. two, it, looking back, it wasn't a business that would have satisfied me. Mm. You know, so it was a wrong choice of business that I got mm. into. Right. So you, so you did it because you saw what you believed to be an opportunity, but obviously it didn't materialize that way. But, but in any case, it wasn't really something that you were naturally drawn to anyway, right? So in right. terms so, of a, yeah, it yeah. was an, so it was an opportunity where probably I did not have enough competence. Mm, mm, mm. Right, right. So I imagine like, say, if it was something that, that you were really drawn to and, and you love doing and stuff like you, maybe we would have pushed on. I'm not sure. It maybe would have had a different outcome. Uh, yeah, I, I told my shareholders because I raised the money uh, from family and friends. And I basically told my shareholders that we'll, 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 we'll go dormant for the business mm. and I won't draw salary for three months. Mm. And we'll see whether we can revive it. And if we can't revive it, then we just close it. And so we sold mm. off the business at a distressed value. Mm. And we recovered about 20, 25 cents in the dollar. And, right, closed right. it, and then closed it down. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I, and I suppose that's part of like being an entrepreneur. You sometimes have to take these educated bets about the future. And it may not always turn out the way, right? You expect, like you said, you thought that the gap between us and Singapore was closing, but it was yep. not. Yep. So we, right. So if it was obvious, everyone would already be doing it, but it's not obvious yet, right? That's what the role of the so, entrepreneur is. So that's what, that's what Peter Thiel says, right? So Peter Thiel says that the best business to get into is a business where, um, you know, something to be true, mm. but it's still a secret. Yes. That's right. Um, and and uh, so he was explaining about how he, why he invested in uh, Airbnb. Because he said that's the most natural thing, but people had forgotten about it. Mm, mm, so, mm. He, so only a few people knew it to be true. Mm. Uh, and that's what drove him to, to invest in uh, Airbnb. Mm. Uh, what, uh, what's your one piece of advice you would give to someone who's just starting out right now? Or maybe let me rephrase Starting that in question. which way? In which way? Um, if I'm a fresh graduate, let's say, I just graduated university, instead of getting a job, I tell myself, I'm going to start a business, right? What's the one piece of advice you would give this person? When you, when you select your business, look at, look at three things. Look at competence. Can mm. you deliver this business? Because we talked earlier about the difficulty of recruiting a team. Mm. So you need to think about a business where the resource load is on you and you can manage it, right? Then think about where are your customers going to come from? And typically what happens in the Malaysian market and the Asian market is the channel delivery is very tough. The businesses that do well are the ones that can jump directly to the consumer. If you have to go through an established re uh, distributor, it's very difficult. So think about your competence that you, you are going to be responsible for the full or, or large load, you or your, your co-founder is going to be responsible for the competence delivery of the business. Then think about the, the go-to-market strategy, right? So that has to be a simple strategy that you can execute and doesn't require the distributor to buy in. And the third is make sure that you have enough money, as you're saying, six months, eight months. Mm. Um, <laughs> You know, 12 months, maybe. 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. It but took me a long time to get myself paid properly. So that's why I'm very but, prudent. But you know, Derek, everybody you know survives, right? Mm. Can you think of anybody who hasn't survived? They all survived. I mean, the, my business failed. I went back to work. I tried it again. It failed. I went back to work. Oh yeah. So, so for me, it's, um, I, I know that people will survive. My, my main, my main uh, concern sometimes is whether, uh, it may, they may have a good business, but if they run out of money personally, then they might abruptly stop a business that would have been good. Had they had enough money to see through another six months, another, you know, so I'm more thinking in those terms. Sometimes I see people like, you know, they, they're, they're going the right direction. They had some mistakes. 
but they're pressured because personally they need money. So they stop the business and look for a job. You know, in, 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 in my book, I talk about the story of WhatsApp, right? Mm. And, and John Coombe was about to give up on the business. Mm. When he was playing Frisbee and he said, you know, I, it's just not working and, you know, I'm just going to give up. And mm. he was encouraged just to push through a little longer and look at WhatsApp today, right? I think they got mm. bought for, uh, they got bought out for a colossal amount of money. Yeah, I can't remember how much, but yeah, it was it was big amount. <laughs> Seven, I think seventeen billion. And then he recently left. Um, he left Facebook, right? Yes, yes, he because uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there are so many stories of people who who you know that extra mile made the difference. Mm. Mm. The extra mile ne- normally doesn't put the nail in the coffin. Mm. normally i mean I, I, obviously there mm. are some people who who have but if you look around mm. you and the people who raised money and started things they've all gone on to do something else right mm. maybe they haven't hit the level that they wanted to or they're not mm. doing exactly what they wanted to do but they're still there mm. so um building on that right Anna, so what do you um, what do you think about people who decide to have a job while running a business on the side? Right? Well, what, what do you think of people who are like juggling between these two worlds? Do you think there are ways to that's make the best, it work out? That's the best, that's the best thing to do. Oh. <laughs> so if you can juggle it and get it to the point where, um, where the business viability is, is more certain, then I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. What do you thought, what do you think about time management in a scenario like this? Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you know, the, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I being honest enough with my employer, the guy who's paying me every month? Mm. And if you can answer the question that I am still doing my job, and I still can sleep at night because I think I'm not shortchanging my employer, then uh, go for it. Because it's, it really gives you the, 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 the cushion that you need. Hmm. Yeah. So, so basically be transparent with your employer about what you're doing. I so don't know whether you, you want to be transparent because I don't know whether many employers <laughs> will allow you to do that. Um, I mean, some do, some don't, right? So I have a friend who works right. for Musk, who works for Musk. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, there are, there are many businesses, right? The two guys who started Lorry, mm. right? They work for forwarding, freight forwarding firm. Uh, they solved the problem for their business and then realized that this is a big opportunity left and then created this as an independent business. Mm. Um, so I think, um, I think that's the best of both worlds, right? Uh, yeah, I suppose like you could kind of like have an income and, and your, your risk is kind of managed quite well. Uh, the only downside is time. Uh, and I and say that more because even when I was doing full time going to work, you know, it was quite a struggle. I can't imagine what it would be like if I had a full time job at the same time. <laughs> you know, so uh, I mean, it, especially in the early days. Now, now when, you know, we've we've got the engine going, we have like teams of people, even if I'm not in the office, things still grow, they still yeah. go on without me. But yeah. in the early days, it's very taxing, right? So, no, so, sure. so those I'm are sure. some considerations. Uh. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay, I'm going to like move on to like a few quick fire questions. So thank yes. you for your time, Anna. So uh, first question is, is there a non-fiction book that you've read that you believe everyone should read? Well, there are probably a couple, right? One you've already mentioned, Lean Startup. And the other one I would say is um, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, two books, long, mm. uh, the, um, Tipping Point and Blink. Tipping Point and Blink, right. Be- because they, right. They, 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 they talk about you know, the S-curve, right? So all mm. technologies go through an S-curve. Malcolm Gladwell calls it a tipping point, but actually it's an S-curve. So if you look at the adoption, mm. So you find that there's, it, it's slow and then suddenly it'll kick up and all technologies go through that, whether it's the laptop or the handphone or electric cars or, you know, they're all there for a long period of time. Then suddenly, whew, 
mm -hmm. just shoots up. And, and I think that um, Malcolm Gladwell in his book alludes to that. When you hit the tipping point, then you right. can fly. Okay. I have, personally, I've only skimmed through that book. I, I, I roughly know what it's about, but I, I don't know enough. So maybe I should read it again. Oh, the other, the <laughs> other one is I just bought another copy is this one. Zero to one. Oh, yeah, I, I read this one. This is a good book. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I would read the book knowing that it's written for an American market with American startup ecosystem, but a lot of the concepts are very useful yes. even in Malaysia. That's my experience, right? Uh, so obviously, Peter Thiel is always about building billion-dollar companies. And, uh, of, and, and that's, you're talking about like a high risk, high, high gain high. kind of, a, you know, <laughs> a kind of a play, right? But, but not everyone wants to do this for their business, right? Right. right. Uh, and actually, that's uh, another, another point which is interesting for entrepreneurs. And we talked about it. Not every business has to be a mega business. Mm. And as an entrepreneur, it's okay to have a hobby. It's okay to have a lifestyle business. Mm. And a lot of entrepreneurs should be happy with that. You know, yeah. sometimes when you push and you, you chase for the growth, that's where you have the rupture. Mm. And, I, and I sometimes when I meet entrepreneurs, I say, this is a great business. Mm. You make whatever you make a year and that's fine. You don't have to make it 10 times more because in, in trying to get 10 times more, you're going to have to change something. Mm. And then you lose the other part of the business which you value, which is your lifestyle. Mm. So no, sometimes, sometimes it's businesses are not meant to be mega, mega businesses, right? Mm. And we, sometimes we, we get this, the society pushing entrepreneurs that you must be big, 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 big. And maybe that's not the way to go. Yeah, the, the go big or go home mindset, right? But, but I know a lot of like successful businesses with just like a shop but they are financially very successful, yeah, right? Exactly. They make a lot of money yeah. uh, and, and their life is manageable because they only worry about this shop that they have, right? Uh, so yeah, so things that, yeah, things that people should consider. You don't need to be like on the cover of a magazine building a billion dollar business to be considered a successful entrepreneur. There are different forms and, yes. and you know, there, there's, a, there's, the, there's the right type of entrepreneur for you, for each person. Um, Next question, what's the best piece of career advice you've received from a mentor or someone that you respect? I think that when I dropped Naval Architecture, um, it was getting an affirmation from a mentor who basically said, you're not enjoying it. Mm. And you're doing it because you studied it and, and therefore you ended up, because you studied it, I have an obligation to practice it. Uh, and also because I couldn't answer the other question. If you don't do this, what do you do? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so, you answer. so give it up. That was, a, that, was a, that was the best piece of advice. Yeah, and I think it's very applicable for a lot of graduates because um, if you think about how most people choose their degrees, it's not really based on like them knowing that they want to do that. It's like they have a sense they have some interest, but when they start doing it, they may realize that it's not what they like, yes. right? Yes. And, 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 then, and then you graduate with this piece of paper and a lot of people feel like they're stuck or committed to this path. But in reality, it's not true. I know a lot of people who have like, you know, uh, careers are organic, like people shift away from what they originally meant to do and still become very successful. And I tell people that, um, you know, I gave a talk the other day and I tell people that you, when you do a job, you need to focus on the competencies that you have, not the job that you do. The mm. job that you do and the competencies are, are different things. And so when you go into a job, focus on the competent competencies that you're building. I mean, those competencies can have application elsewhere. Mm. And don't get so hung up on the job. You know, focus on the competencies. Get, build your competencies because that's what will give you that ability to laterally grow and look for other jobs. Yeah. Uh, next question. So last two questions in our quick fire section. Uh, who's your role model? Uh, someone that's not from your family. Uh, and what behaviors do you see that you have in yourself that they have? And, and what's missing that you wish you had? 
Oh, that's a tough one. I think my role <laughs> model is, uh, is probably Stephen Covey. So I, I heard Stephen Covey many, many years ago when he came to KL. Mm. Um, super disciplined, super clear about where he's going. I, I tend to have a more wandering mindset. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, that's uh, probably not, 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 not a good thing. So right. I, I tend to I tend to like meandering. You know, I don't mind taking a wrong turn. Right. Um, and I and I think uh, uh, Kobe is such a disciplined guy, right? Yeah. And uh, and I think I I like a, I like some of that. Mm. You probably have a very creative or entrepreneurial personality. I, I read somewhere that like you know that the people who are just built like this. Like uh, I am quite similar in that sense. You know, I I I don't think I'm. I don't consider myself a very disciplined person, okay. uh, but I love building things, you know, yes. I, so, so, so that the energy of building something new draws me into a project or, a work, or my work. But if, if you gave me nothing and just made me sit there, I wouldn't necessarily kind of follow routine or systems, you know, I don't exactly. have a system. And, and so the, the, the concept of discipline, I, I think people should realize that I'm very disciplined about what needs to be done. It will always mm. be done ahead of time. Because for me, managing stress is making sure nobody chases me for anything. So mm -hmm. if I tell you it'll be done by Tuesday, I will make sure it's done by Tuesday. Because I don't mm -hmm. want you to call me on Tuesday and say, Anwar, where is it? <laughs> because that stresses me out, right? And yeah. I know something will happen on Monday that I won't, so I try and get it done by Sunday. Right. So I'm disciplined about completing and outcomes. Mm. But I, I'm not very disciplined about how I spend my day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably like a very creative kind of personality trait. Uh, <laughs> last question. Uh, what does the word success mean to you? I think success is contentment. And contentment comes from not just the doing, but also the reward, whether it's internal or external, right? So... Um, you know, I, I, I think that success equals contentment. But contentment has to come with some reward, whether it's external or internal. Mm. Mm. So the contentment has to come from either external or internal. So I, I suppose, um, therefore, you can achieve contentment without an external reward. Right. You can, yeah. So for everybody, the balance is, is, is different, right? So sometimes mm. you want that uh, more from external or sometimes you're more, more, more internal, right? So do you mm. want to feel at peace or do you want to have a lot of money? I mean, you want both, right? Mm. Yes. Yeah. But, but which do you want to chase and, and at which point do you say that I have it? Yeah. Do you have to give up one to get the other? Most people yeah. that give you advice are the ones who are extremely successful. They say, be, be mindful and be this. You know, mm. find somebody who's not successful that says, be mindful. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> you know or, or like, you know, sometimes people say money doesn't buy happiness, which is true. You don't yes. need money to be happy. But I, I tell people all the time, but it's helpful having money, lah, right? Exactly. You can't say you don't want money, right? Exactly. So, so it's, it's, it's yeah. that, you know, we all need that balance of, you need to be at peace with yourself, which is a function of your value system. Mm. And then you need some, some extrinsic or you know, external validation. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Anwar, for joining us on this podcast. I love the thank conversation. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, we, are, we are actually having this conversation right now where most we are avoiding a lot of physical kind of like social uh, contact. But uh, at some point, perhaps I'll, I'll catch up with you in person again, right? And we can like forward chat to about other things. Yep. Okay, right. right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're trying to have a great career or if you want to succeed in business, um, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn 
from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia and hopefully you can replicate some of that success yourself. Uh, we have many, many more amazing people joining us soon and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So again, do hit that subscribe button to our podcast and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by WAP the leading professional youth jobs platform in Malaysia. So if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, do also check us out at wobjobs.com. That's W-O-B-B jobs.com. Thank you again. And I look forward to share the next episode with you soon.